Section 23, Book the 23rd of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 23, Book the 23rd. Argument. Achilles, admonished in a dream by the ghost of his friend, celebrates the funeral of Patroclus. Thus they indeed were mourning through the city, but the Greeks, as soon as they reached the ships and the Hellespont, were separated each to his own ship. But Achilles did not permit the Myrmidons to be dispersed, but he spoke amongst his warlike companions thus. Ye swift-horsed Myrmidons, comrades dear to me, let us not yet loose the solid hooved steeds from under our chariots, but with the very horses and chariots going near, let us bewail Patroclus, for this is the honour of the dead. But when we have indulged sad lamentation, unyoking our steeds, we will all sup here. Thus he spoke, but they mourned in a body, and Achilles led the way. Thrice they drove their fair-maned steeds around the body, grieving, and among them Thetis kindled a longing for lamentation. Moistened were the sands, and moistened were the arms of the men with tears, for so brave a master of the flight they longed. But among them the son of Peleus led the abundant lamentation, laying his manslaughtering hands upon the breast of his companion. Hail, O Patroclus, even in the dwelling of Hades, for now shall I accomplish all those things which formerly I promised, that having dragged Hector hither, I would give him to the dogs to be devoured raw, and that they before thy pile I would cut the necks of twelve illustrious sons of the Trojans, enraged on account of thee slain. He spoke, and meditated unworthy deeds against noble Hector, having stretched him prone in the dust before the bier of Menotiades. But they each stripped off his brazen, glittering armor, and unyoked their high-sounding steeds. They sat also in crowds at the ship of swift-footed Achades, but he afforded to them an agreeable funeral feast. Many white bulls were stretched around by the axe, having their throats cut, and many sheep and bleating goats. Many white-tusked swine also, abounding in fat, were extended for roasting in the flame of Vulcan, and on every side around the dead body flowed abundant blood. But the chiefs of the Greeks led the king, the swift-footed son of Peleus, to noble Agamemnon, hardly persuading him, enraged at heart on account of his companion. But when advancing they reached the tent of Agamemnon, he straightway ordered the clear-voiced heralds to place a large tripod on the fire, if he could persuade the son of Peleus to wash away the bloody gore but he sternly refused, and besides, swore an oath. No, by Jove, who is both the supreme and the best of gods, it is not lawful that ablution should come near my head before I place Patroclus on the pile, and have thrown up a mound, and shorn my hair, for not to such a degree will sorrow a second time invade my heart, whilst I am among the living. But nevertheless, let us now yield to the loathsome banquet, but on the morrow, O king of men, Agamemnon, give orders to bring wood, and dispose it, so as is proper that a dead body enjoying it should descend beneath the obscure darkness, so that the indefatigable fire may consume him very quickly from our eyes, and the people may return to their occupations. Thus he spoke, but they indeed readily listened to him and obeyed. Then they, each sedulously preparing supper, feasted, nor did their mind lack aught of an equal feast, but when they had dismissed the desire of food and drink, some departed in order to lie down, each to his tent. But the son of Peleus, on the contrary, amid his many myrmidons, lay near the shore of the far-sounding sea, heavily moaning, in a clear spot where the waves splashed against the shore. When sweet sleep, diffused around, took possession of him, relaxing the care of his mind. 
for he was very much fatigued as to his fair knees, chasing Hector at wind-swept Ilium. But to him came the spirit of wretched Patroclus, like unto him in all things, as to bulk, and beautiful eyes, and his voice. And like garments also were around his body, and he stood over his head, and addressed him. Sleepest thou, O Achilles, and art thou forgetful of me? Thou didst not indeed neglect me when alive, but now that I am dead. Bury me, that I may as soon as possible pass the gates of Hades, the spirits, the images of the deceased, drive me far away, nor by any means permit me to be mingled with them beyond the river. But thus I do wander round the ample-gated dwelling of Hades. But give me thy hand, I beseech thee, for I shall not again return from Hades after thou hast made me a partaker of the fire. For by no means shall we, being alive, sitting apart from our dear companions, deliberate counsels. But the hateful fate which befell me when born has snatched me away, and to thyself also a god like Achilles thy fate is to perish beneath the wall of the noble Trojans. But another thing I bid, and will command, O Achilles, if thou wilt obey, not to lay my bones apart from thine. But as we were nurtured together in thy palaces, when Menoetius led me from Opus, a little boy, to thy home on account of a melancholy homicide, on that day, when imprudent, I slew the son of Amphidamus, not wishing it, enraged about the dice. Then Peleus received me in his abode, carefully reared me, and named me thy attendant. So may the same tomb contain our bones, the golden vase which thy venerable mother gave thee. But him swift-footed Achilles answering addressed, Why, O venerable friend, hast thou come to me, and commandest each of these things to me? Yet will I readily accomplish all these things for thee, and obey as thou commandest. But stand nearer to me, that embracing each other even for a little while we may indulge in sad lamentation. Thus then having spoken, he stretched out with his friendly arms, nor caught him, for the spirit went gibbering beneath the earth like smoke. Then Achilles sprang up astonished, and clapped together his hands, and spoke this doleful speech. Alas, there is indeed then even in the dwellings of Hades a certain spirit and image, but there is no body in it at all. For all night the spirit of miserable Patroclus stood by me, groaning and lamenting, and enjoined to me each particular, and was wonderfully like unto himself. Thus he spoke, and excited among them all a longing for lamentation, and rosy-fingered morn appeared to them while weeping around the miserable corpse. But King Agamemnon incited everywhere from the tents both mules and men to bring wood, and for this a brave man was roused, Meriones, the servant of valor-loving Idomeneus. And they went, holding in their hands wood-lopping axes and well-twisted ropes, and before them went the mules. They passed over many ascents, descents, and straightways, and crossways. But when they reached the forest of many-ruled Ida, hastening, they cut down the towering oaks with a keen-edged brass, these greatly resounding fell, and the Greeks then splitting them, tied them upon the mules. But they pained the ground with their hooves, eager to reach the plain through the close thickets. But all the woodcutters carried trunks of trees, for so Marionis, the servant of valor-loving Idomeneus, ordered, and afterwards threw them in order upon the shore, where Achilles designed a mighty tomb for Patroclus and for himself. But when they had thrown on all sides immense quantities of wood, remaining there in a body, they sat down, but Achilles immediately ordered the warlike Myrmidons to gird on the brass, and to yoke each his horses to his chariot. But they arose and were arrayed in their armor, and both the combatants and the charioteers ascended their chariots, the cavalry indeed first, but a cloud of infantry followed after in myriads. And in the midst his companions bore Patroclus. They covered all the dead body over with hair, which cutting off they threw upon it. 
But noble Achilles held his head behind, grieving, for he was sending a blameless companion to Hades. But they, when they reached the place where Achilles pointed out to them, laid him down, and immediately heaped on abundant wood for him. Then again swift-footed Achilles remembered another thing. Standing apart from the pile, he cut off his yellow hair, which he had nurtured, blooming, for the river Spurcius, and moaning he spake, looking upon the dark sea. In vain, O Spurcius, did my father Peleus vow to thee, that I, returning to my dear native land, should there cut off my hair for thee, and offer a sacred hecatomb, and besides that I would in the same place sacrifice fifty male sheep at the fountains, where are a grove and fragrant altar to thee. Thus the old man spake, but thou hast not fulfilled his will, and now, since I return not to my dear fatherland, I will give my hair to the hero Patroclus to be born with him. Thus saying, he placed his hair in the hands of his dear companion, and excited amongst them all a longing for weeping, and the light of the sun had certainly set upon them mourning, had not Achilles, standing beside, straightway addressed Agamemnon. O son of Atreus, for to thy words the people of the Greeks most especially hearken, it is possible to satiate oneself even with weeping. But now do thou dismiss them from the pile, and order them to prepare supper. O son of Atreus, for to thy words the people of the Greeks most especially hearken, it is possible to satiate oneself even with weeping. But now do thou dismiss them from the pile, and order them to prepare supper. We, to whom the corpse is chiefly a care, will labor concerning these things, but let the chiefs remain with us. But when the king of men, Agamemnon, heard this, he immediately dispersed the people among the eagle ships. But the mourners remained there, and heaped up the wood. They formed a pile a hundred feet this way and that, and laid the body upon the summit of the pile, grieving at heart. Many fat sheep and stamping-footed, bent-horned oxen they skinned and dressed before the pile, from all of which magnanimous Achilles, taking the fat, covered over the dead body with it from head to feet, and heaped around the skinned carcasses. Leaning towards a bier, he likewise placed vessels of honey and oil, and sighing deeply, hastily threw upon the pyre four high-necked steeds. There were nine dogs, companions at the table of the departed king, and slaying two of them, he cast them upon the pile, also twelve gallant sons of the magnanimous Trojans, slaying them with the brass, and he designed evil deeds in his mind. Next he applied to it the iron strength of fire, that it might feed upon it. Then he groaned aloud, and addressed his beloved companion by name. Hail, O Patroclus, even in the dwellings of Hades, for I now fulfill all things which I firmly promised thee. Twelve brave sons of the magnanimous Trojans, all these along with thee shall the fire consume. But I will not suffer Hector, the son of Priam, to be devoured by fire, but by the dogs. Thus he spoke, threatening, but about him the dogs were not busied, for Venus, the daughter of Jove, drove off the dogs both days and nights, and anointed him with a rosy, unguent ambrosial, that he might not lacerate him, dragging him along. Over him also Phoebus Apollo drew a dark cloud from heaven to the plain, and overshadowed the whole space as much as a dead body occupied, lest the influence of the sun should previously dry the body all around, with the nerves and limbs. Yet the pile of dead Patroclus burned not. Then again noble Achilles meditated other things. Standing apart from the pile, he prayed to two winds, Boreas and Zephyrus, and promised fair sacrifices, and pouring out many libations with a golden goblet, he supplicated them to come, that they might burn the body with fire as soon as possible, and the wood might hasten to be burned. But swift Iris, hearing his prayers, went as a messenger to the winds. They indeed, together at home with fierce-breathing Zephyrus, were celebrating a feast, when Iris, hastening, stood upon the stone threshold. 
But when they beheld her with their eyes, they rose up and invited her to him, each of them. But she, on the contrary, refused to sit down, and spoke this speech. No seat for me, for I return again to the flowings of the ocean, to the land of the Ethiopians, where they sacrifice hecatombs to the immortals, that now I too may have a share in their offerings. But Achilles now supplicates Boreas and Sonorus Zephyrus to come, that ye may kindle the pile to be consumed, on which lies Patroclus, whom all the Greeks bewail. She indeed, thus having spoken, departed, but they hastened to go with a great tumult, driving on the clouds before them. Immediately they reached the sea, blowing, and the billow was raised up beneath their sonorous blast. But they reached the very fertile Troad, and fell upon the pile, and mightily resounded the fiercely burning fire. All night, indeed, did they together toss about the blaze of the pyre, shrilly blowing, and all night swift Achilles, holding a double cup, poured wine upon the ground, drawing it from a golden goblet, and moistened the earth, invoking the manes of wretched Patroclus. And as a father mourns, consuming the bones of his son, a bridegroom who, dying, has afflicted his unhappy parents, so mourned Achilles, burning the bones of his companion, pacing pensively beside the pile, groaning continually. But when Lucifer arrived, proclaiming light over the earth, after whom saffron-vested morn is diffused over the sea, then the pyre grew languid, and the flame decayed, and the winds departed again to return home through the Thracian sea. But the sea groaned indeed, raging with swelling billow. But Pelides, going apart from the pile, reclined fatigued, and upon him fell sweet sleep. The others, however, were assembling in crowds round the son of Atreus, the noise and tumult of whom, approaching, awoke him, and being raised up, he sat and addressed them. O son of Atreus, and ye other chiefs of the Greeks, first indeed extinguish the whole pile, as much as the fire has seized, with dark wine, and then let us collect the bones of Patroclus, the son of Menoetius, well discriminating them, for they are readily distinguished, for he lay in the centre of the pyre. But the others, both horses and men, were burned promiscuously at the extremity, and let us place them in a golden vessel, and with a double layer of fat, till I myself be hidden in Hades, and I wish that a tomb should be made, not very large, but of such a size as is becoming. But do ye, O Achaeans, hereafter make it both broad and lofty, you who may be left behind me at the many-benched barks. Thus he spoke, and they obeyed the swift-footed son of Peleus, First of all, indeed, they totally extinguished the pyre with dark wine, as much as the fire had invaded, and the deep ashes fell in, and weeping they collected the white bones of their mild companion into a golden vessel, and a double layer of fat. Then laying them in the tent, they covered them with soft linen. Next they marked out the area for the tomb, and laid the foundations around the pile, and immediately upraised a mound of earth, and heaping up the tomb returned but Achilles detained the people there, and made the wide assembly sit down. But from the ships he brought forth prizes, goblets, tripods, horses, mules, and sturdy heads of oxen, and slender-waisted women, and hoary iron. First he staked as prizes for swift-footed steeds, a woman to be borne away, faultless, skilled in works, as well as a handled tripod of two-and-twenty measures for the first. But for the second he staked a mare six years old, unbroken, pregnant with a young mule, for the third he staked a fireless tripod, beautiful, containing four measures, yet quite untarnished. For the fourth he staked two talents of gold, and for the fifth he staked a double vessel, untouched by the fire. Erect he stood, and spoke this speech to the Greeks. O son of Atreus, and ye other well-grieved Greeks, 
These prizes lie in the circus, awaiting the charioteers. If now, indeed, in honour of another, we Grecians were contending, then truly would I receiving bear the first prizes to my tent. For ye know how much my steeds surpass in excellence, for they are both immortal, and Neptune gave them to my father Peleus, who again delivered them to me. But nevertheless, I and my solid-hooved steeds will remain apart from the contest, because they have lost the excellent might of such a charioteer, who very often poured the moist oil over their manes, having washed them with limpid water. They indeed standing lament him, but their manes hang down upon the ground, and they stand grieved at heart. However do ye others through the army prepare, whoever of the Greeks confides in his steeds and well-fastened chariots. Thus spoke the son of Peleus, but the swift charioteers arose, but far the first arose Eumelus, king of men, the dear son of Admetus, who surpassed in equestrian skill. After him arose the son of Tydeus, valiant Diomede, and led under the yoke of the horses of Tros, which he formerly took from Aeneas. But Apollo preserved himself alive, next to whom arose the most noble son of yellow-haired Atreus, Menelaus, and led beneath the yoke fleet steeds Agamemnon's mare Athe, and his own stallion Podargus. Her Echipolis, the son of Anchises, had presented as a gift to Agamemnon, that he need not follow him to wind-swept Ilium, but staying there might be delighted, for Jove had given him great wealth, and he dwelt in wise Sicyon. Her persevering in the race, he led under the yoke. But Antilochus the fourth harnessed his beautiful maned steeds, the illustrious son of the magnanimous king Nestor, the son of Neleus, and swift-footed Pelion-born steeds drew his chariot for him. But his father, standing near, spoke for his good, advising him, though himself prudent. O Antilochus, assuredly indeed both Jove and Neptune have loved thee, although being young, and have taught thee all kinds of equestrian exercise, wherefore there is no great need to instruct thee, for thou knowest how to turn the goals with safety, but thy horses are very slow to run, wherefore I think that disasters may happen. Their horses indeed are more fleet, but they themselves know not how to manoeuvre better than thou self. But come now, beloved one, contrive every manner of contrivance in thy mind, lest surprises by any chance escape thee. By skill is a woodcutter much better than by strength, and again by skill the pilot directs upon the dark sea the swift ship, tossed about by the winds, and by skill charioteer excels charioteer, one man who was confident in his steeds and chariot turns imprudently hither and thither over much ground, and his steeds wander through the course, nor does he rein them in. But he, on the contrary, who is acquainted with stratagem, though driving inferior steeds, always looking at the goal, turns it close, nor does it escape him in what manner he may first turn the course with his leathern reins. But he holds on steadily, and watches the one who is before him. But I will show thee the goal, easily distinguished, nor shall it escape thy notice. A piece of dry wood as much as a cubit stands over the ground, either of oak or of larch, which is not rotted by rain, and two white stones are placed on either side, in the narrow part of the way. But the race-course around is level, either it is the monument of some man long since dead, or perhaps it has been a goal in the time of former men, and now swift-footed noble Achilles has appointed it the goal. Approaching this very closely, drive thy chariot and horses near, but incline thyself gently towards the left of the steeds, in the well-joined chariot-seat, and cheering on the right-hand horse, apply the whip, and give the rein with thy hands. Let thy left-hand horse, however, be moved close to the goal, so that the nave of the well-made wheel may appear to touch the top of the post. 
but avoid to touch upon the stone lest thou both wound thy horses and break thy chariot in pieces and be a joy to the others and a disgrace to thyself but my beloved son mine to be on thy guard for if at the goal thou couldst pass by in the course there will not be one who could overtake thee in pursuit nor pass thee by not if behind he drives noble arion the swift steed of adrastus which was from a god in race or those of laomedon which excellent have here been reared thus speaking and nestor sat down again in his own place when he had mentioned the most important points of each matter to his son and mariona's fifth harnessed his beautiful maned steeds then they ascended their chariots and cast lots into the helmet achilles shook and the lot of antilochus son of nestor leaped forth after him king eumelus was allotted but after him spear-renowned menelaus son of atreus and mariolus was allotted to drive after him but the son of tydeus by far the bravest was allotted to drive his coursers last then they stood in order and achilles pointed out the goals afar off in the level plain and near it placed godlike phoenix as an umpire the armor-bearer of his own sire that he might attend to the race and report the truth then they all at once raised their lashes over their steeds and struck them with the reins and cheered them on with words incessantly but they rapidly flew over the plain far away from the ships swiftly and beneath their breasts the excited dust stood up raised like a cloud or a whirlwind whilst their manes were tossed about by the breath of the wind sometimes indeed the chariots approached the fruitful earth and at others abounded aloft but the drivers stood erect in their chariots and the heart of each of them eager for victory palpitated and each animated his own steeds but they flew along stirring up dust from the plain but when now the fleet steeds were performing the last course back towards the hoary deep then appeared the excellence of each and the course was immediately extended to the horses and then the swift-footed steeds of the son of ferris swiftly bore him away the male trojan steeds of diomede however bore themselves next to them nor were they at all far distant but very near for they always seemed as if about to mount into the chariot and with their breathing the back and broad shoulders of eumelus were warmed for they flew along leaning their heads over him and certainly he had either passed or made the victory doubtful had not phoebus apollo been enraged with the son of tydeus and accordingly shaken out of his hands the shining lash then from the eyes of him indignant tears poured because indeed he beheld the others now going much swifter whilst his steeds were injured running without a goad neither did apollo fraudulently injuring tydides escape the notice of minerva but she very quickly overtook the shepherd of the people and gave him his lash and put vigour into his steeds and to the son of admetus the goddess indignant advanced and broke for him his horse yoke and so his mares ran on both sides out of the way and the pole was dashed upon the ground he himself was thrown from the driving seat close by the wheel and was lacerated all round in his arms his mouth and nostrils and his forehead was bruised near the eyebrows but his eyes were filled with tears and his liquid voice was clogged then diomede passing by directed his hollow-hooved steeds bounding far before the others for minerva had put vigour into his steeds and given him glory but after him however the son of atreus yellow-haired menelaus drove but antilochus cheered on the steeds of his father push on and exert yourselves both of you as fast as possible i indeed did not order you to contend with the steeds of warlike diomede to which minerva has now given speed and given glory to him but quickly overtake the horses of atrides nor be left behind lest athe being a mere shed disgrace upon you both 
Why should ye be left inferior, O best of steeds? For thus I tell you, and it shall surely be accomplished, attention will not be paid to you by Nestor, the shepherd of the people, but he will immediately slay you with the sharp brass if we, remiss, bear off the less worthy prize. But follow and hasten as fast as possible. These things will I myself manage and look to, to pass him by in the narrow way, nor shall it escape me. Thus he spoke, but they, dreading the threat of their master, ran faster for a short time. But immediately then warlike Antilochus perceived the narrow of the hollow way. It was a fissure of the earth, where the wintry torrent collected, had broken away part of the road, and gullied the whole place. Thither drove Menelaus, avoiding the clash of wheels. But Antilochus, deviating, guided his solid-hoofed horses out of the way, and turning aside, pursued him a little. But the son of Atreus feared, and shouted to Antilochus, Antilochus, rashly art thou driving thy horses, but check thy steed, for the road is narrow, and thou wilt soon drive past in a wider, lest thou damage both of us running foul of my chariot. Thus he spoke, but Antilochus drove even much faster, urging them on with a lash, like unto one not hearing, as far as is the cast of a quoit, hurled from the shoulder which a vigorous youth has thrown, making experiments of his youthful strength. So far they ran abreast, but those of Atreides fell back, for he himself voluntarily ceased to drive, lest a solid hoof steed should clash in the road, and overturn the well-joined chariots, and they themselves should fall in the dust while contending for the victory. And him yellow-haired Menelaus chiding addressed, O Antilochus, no other mortal is more pernicious than thou. Avaunt, for we Greeks untruly said that thou wast prudent. Yet not even thus shalt thou bear away the prize without an oath. Thus saying, he cheered on his steeds, and spoke to them, be not kept back, nor stand grieving in your hearts. Sooner will the feet and knees grow weary to them than to you, for they are both deprived of vigor. Thus he spoke, but they, dreading the exhortation of their master, ran more fleetly, and became very near the others. But the Greeks, sitting in assembly, beheld the steeds, and they flew along, raising dust over the plain. Then first Adominius, leader of the Cretans, distinguished the horses, for he sat outside the circus very high up on an observatory, and hearing him being far off, encouraging his steeds, knew him. He also perceived a remarkable steed outstripping, which in every other part indeed was chestnut, but in its forehead was a white round spot like the moon, and he stood erect and delivered this speech amongst the Greeks. O friends, leaders and chieftains of the Greeks, do I alone recognize the horses, or do ye also? Different steeds indeed appear to me to be foremost, and there seems a different charioteer, but those mares which hitherto were successful are probably hurt upon the plain somewhere, for surely I first saw them turning round the goal, but now I can no longer see them, although my eyes survey the Trojan plain as I gaze around. Surely the reins have fled the charioteer, and he could not rein well round the goal, and did not succeed in turning. There I imagine he fell out, and at the same time broke his chariot, whilst the mares bolted, when fury seized their mind. But do ye also standing up look, for I cannot well distinguish. It appears to me to be the Aetolian hero by birth, and who rules amongst the Argives, the son of horse-breaking Tydeus, gallant Diomede. But him swift Ajax, the son of Oileus, bitterly reproached. Adominaeus, why dost thou prate endlessly? Those high-prancing mares run over the vast plain afar. Neither art thou so much the youngest amongst the Greeks, nor do thine eyes see most sharply from thy head. But thou art always prating with words. Nor is it at all necessary for thee to be a prater, for others better than thou art present. For the mares of Aeomalus are still foremost, which were so before, and he himself is advancing, holding the reins. But him the leader of the Cretans, indignant, answered in turn, 
Ajax, best at abuse, reviler, but in all other things thou art inferior to the Greeks, because thy temper is morose. Come now, let us take a tripod or a goblet, and let us both appoint Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, arbiter, which horses are foremost, that paying thou mayest learn. Thus he spoke, but swift Ajax, son of Oileus, immediately rose to reply in harsh words. And now, doubtless, the strife would have proceeded farther to both, had not Achilles himself risen up and spoke. No longer now, O Ajax and Indomineus, hold altercation and evil, angry words, for it is not fitting. And ye also would blame another, whoever should do such things. But sitting down in the circus, look towards the steeds, which themselves will soon arrive, contending for victory. And then will ye know each of you the horses of the Greeks, which are second and which first. Thus he spoke. But the son of Tydeus came very near pursuing, and always drove on his horses with the lash across the shoulders, whilst the steeds were raised up aloft into the air, quickly completing their course, and the drops of dust kept always bespattering their charioteer. The chariot, adorned with gold and tin, rolled on close to the swift-footed steeds, nor was there a deep trace of the tires behind in the fine dust, but they, hastening, flew. But he stood in the midst of the circus, and much perspiration exuded from the steeds, from their necks and chest to the ground. But he himself leaped to the ground from his all-shining chariot, and rested his courage against the yoke. Nor was gallant Sothenelus dilatory, but he eagerly seized the prize, and gave the woman to his magnanimous companions to escort, and handled tripod to bear away, whilst he himself unyoked the steeds. Next to him Nelchian Antilochus drove his steeds, outstripping Menelaus by stratagem, not indeed by speed. Yet even thus Menelaus drove his swift horses near, but as far as a horse is distant from the wheel, which exerting its speed with a chariot draws its master through the plain, and the extreme hairs of its tail touch the wheel-tire, but it rolls very near, nor is there much space between, while it runs over the vast plain. So far was illustrious Menelaus left behind by Antilochus, although at first he was left behind as much as a cast of a coit, yet he quickly overtook him, for the doughty strength of Agamemnon's mare, the beautiful-maned Aethi, was increased. And if the course had been still longer to both, he would surely have passed him by, nor left it doubtful. Marionus again, the good attendant of Idomeneus, was left behind a spear's throw by the illustrious Menelaus, for his fair maned steeds were the slowest, and he himself least skilful in driving a chariot in the contest. But the son of Admetus came last of others, dragging his beauteous chariot, driving his steeds before him. But him swift-footed noble Achilles, seeing, pitied, and standing amongst the Greeks, spoke to him winged words. The best man drives his solid hoof steeds the last. But come, let us give him, as is right, the second prize, and let the son of Tydeus bear away the first. Thus he spoke, and all approved as he ordered. And now truly he had given the mare to him, for the Greeks approved it, had not Antilochus, the son of Magnanimous Nestor, rising up, replied to Achilles, the son of Peleus, on the question of justice. O Achilles, I shall be very indignant with thee if thou fulfillest this promise, for thou art about to deprive me of my reward, considering these things that his chariot and fleet steeds were injured, he himself being skilful, but he should have prayed to the immortals, then would he by no means have come up driving the last. But if thou pitiest him, and it be agreeable to thy mind, thou hast much gold and brass in thy tent, and cattle and maidens, and solid-hooved steeds are thine. Taking from these, give him afterwards even a greater reward, or even now forthwith that the Greeks may applaud thee. This, however, I will not resign, but let him of the warriors strive for her, whoever wishes to contend with me in strength of hands. Thus he spoke, and swift-footed, noble Achilles smiled, 
favouring Antilochus, for he was a dear companion to him, and answering, addressed to him winged words. O Antilochus, since thou now biddest me give something else to Eumelus for my house, this will I indeed accomplish. I will give him the corslet which I took from Asteropaeus, brazen, around which there is entwined a rim of shining tin, and it is of great value. He spoke, and ordered his dear comrade Automedon to bear it from the tent, and he went and brought it to him. Then he placed it in the hands of Aemilus, and he received it rejoicing. But Menelaus also arose amongst them, grieving in his mind, vehemently enraged with Antilochus. Then a herald placed the scepter in his hands, and ordered the Greeks to be silent. And then the godlike hero spoke. O Antilochus, hitherto prudent, what hast thou done? Thou hast disgraced my skill, and injured my steeds, driving thine before them, which indeed are greatly inferior. But come, ye leaders and chiefs of the Greeks, judge between us both, and not for favour, lest some one of the brazen-mailed Greeks should say, Menelaus, having overcome Antilochus by falsehoods, came off, leading the mare as a prize, for his steeds were very inferior, but he himself superior in skill and strength. But come, I myself will decide, and I think that no other of the Greeks will blame me, for it will be just. O Antilochus, nurtured of Jove, come hither, I pray, as it is just, standing before thy horses and chariot, and holding in thy hands the pliant lash with which thou didst formerly drive, touching thy steeds, swear by earth-encompassing Neptune, that thou didst not willingly impede my chariot by stratagem. But him prudent Antilochus in turn answered, have patience now, since I am much younger than thou, O King Menelaus, and thou art older and superior. Thou knowest of what sort are the errors of a youth, for his mind is indeed more volatile, and his counsel weak. Therefore let thy heart endure, and I myself will give thee the steed which I have received, and if indeed thou demandest anything else greater from my house, I should be willing to give it immediately, rather than fall forever, O Jove nurtured, from thy good opinion, and be sinful towards the gods. He spoke, and the son of magnanimous Nestor, leading the mare, placed it in the hands of Menelaus. But his mind was cheered as the dew is diffused over the ears of growing corn, when the fields are bristling. Thus indeed, O Menelaus, was thy soul in thy breast cheered, and speaking he addressed to him winged words. Antilochus, now indeed will I cease being enraged with thee, for formerly thou wert neither foolish nor volatile, though now youth has subdued reason avoid a second time overreaching thy superiors for not another man of the greeks would have easily appeased me but thou hast already suffered much and accomplished many deeds as well as thy good father and brother for my sake therefore will i be persuaded by thee supplicating and will give the mare also although being mine that these too may perceive that my soul is never overbearing or unrelenting he spoke and gave the steed to noemon the comrade of Antilochus, to lead away, and then he received the shining goblet himself. But Meriones the fourth took up the two talents of gold, in which order he drove. But the fifth prize was left, which Achilles, bearing through the assembly of the Greeks, gave to Nestor, and standing by him said, Receive now, and let this be a keepsake to thee, a memorial of the burial of Patroclus, for never more shalt thou behold him among the Greeks. I give this prize to thee even thus, for thou indeed wilt not fight with Asestus, nor wrestle, nor engage in the contest of hurling the javelin, nor run on the feet, for grievous old age now oppresses thee. Thus speaking, he placed it in his hands, but he, rejoicing, accepted it, and addressing him, spoke in winged words, Assuredly, O my son, thou hast spoken all these things aright, for no longer are my limbs firm, my friend, nor my feet, nor yet do my hands move pliant on each side from my shoulders, 
would that I were as young, and my strength was firm to me, as when the Epeans buried King Amaronesus at Bipresium, and his sons staked the prizes of the king. There no man was equal to me, neither of the Epeans, nor the Paleans themselves, nor the magnanimous Aetolians. In the Cestus I conquered Clytomedes, the son of Enops, and in wrestling Ancaeus, the Pleronian, who rose up against me, and on foot I outstripped Iphiclus, though being excellent, and with the spear hurled beyond Phileus and Polydorus, the two sons of Actor drove by me by their steeds only, exceeding me in number, envying me the victory. For the greatest rewards were left for that contest, but they were two. The one indeed steadily directed the reins, whilst the other urged on with the lass. Thus I formerly was, but now let younger men undertake such deeds, as it becomes me to obey sad old age, though I then excelled amongst heroes. But go and celebrate thy comrades' obsequies with games. This indeed I willingly accept, and my soul rejoices that thou art ever mindful of me nor am I forgotten by thee, with what honour it becomes me to be honoured among the Greeks, and for these things may the gods give thee a proper return. Thus he spoke, but the son of Peleus went through the great assemblage of the Greeks, when he had heard all the praise of Nestor, then he proposed prizes for a laborious boxing-match, leading a mule patient of toil, six years old, unbroken, which is most difficult to be tamed, he tied it in the circus, and for the conquered again he staked a two-handled cup, then he stood up and spoke amongst the Greeks. O ye sons of Atreus, and other well-grieved Greeks, we invite two men who are very expert, raising their hands aloft, to strike for these with the fist, but to whom Apollo indeed may give victory, and all the Greeks approve, leading away the mule, patient of labour. Let him conduct it to his tent, but the vanquished shall bear away a double cup. Thus he spoke, and immediately arose a man brave and great, skilled in the art of boxing, Epeus, son of Panopeus, and grasping the patient's toiling mule, said, Let him draw near, whosoever will bear away the double cup, but I think that no other of the Greeks, having conquered in boxing, will lead away the mule, for I boast myself to be the best man. Is it not enough that I am inferior in battle, for it is by no means possible for a man to be skilled in every work? For thus I tell you, and it shall be accomplished, I will utterly fracture his body, and also break his bones, and let his friends remain here assembled, who may carry him away vanquished by my hands. Thus he spoke, but they were all mute in silence. But Euryalus alone stood up against him, a godlike hero, son of King Mecisteus, a descendant of Teleon, who formerly came to Thebes, to the funeral of the deceased Oedipus, and there vanquished all the Cadmeans. About him the spear-renowned son of Tydeus was busied, encouraging him with words, for he greatly wished victory to him, and first he threw around him his girdle, and then gave him the well-cut thongs made of the hide of a rustic ox. But they twain, having girded themselves, proceeded into the middle of the circus, and both at the same time engaged, with their strong hands opposite, raising them up, and their heavy hands were mingled. Then a horrid crashing of jaws ensued, and the sweat flowed on all sides from their limbs. Then noble Epeus rushed in, and smote him upon the cheek while looking round, nor could he stand any longer, but his fair limbs tottered under him, and as when from beneath the surface rippled by the north wind a fish leaps out upon the weedy shore, and the dark billows covers it, so he, stricken, sprang up. But magnanimous Epeus, taking him in his hands, lifted him up, 
and his dear comrade stood around, who conducted him through the circus on tottering feet, spitting out clotted gore, and drooping his head on each side, and then leading, placed him among them, insensible, while they departing received the double cup. But the son of Peleus quickly staked other third prizes for laborious wrestling, exhibiting them to the Greeks, for the conqueror indeed a large tripod ready for the fire, which the Greeks estimated amongst themselves at twelve oxen, and for the conquered person he placed a female in the midst. She understood various works, and they reckoned her at four oxen. But he stood up, and spoke this speech among the Greeks. Arise, ye who will make trial of this contest, thus he spoke. But then arose mighty Telamonian Ajax, and wise Ulysses stood up skilled in stratagems. But these two, having girded themselves, advanced into the midst of the circus, and grasped each other's arms with their strong hands, like the rafters of a lofty dome, which a renowned architect has fitted, guarding off the violence of the winds. Then their backs creaked, forcibly dragged by their powerful hands, and the copious sweat poured down, and thick welds, purple with blood, arose upon their sides and shoulders. Yet always eagerly they sought desired victory, for the sake of the well-made tripod, Neither could Ulysses trip, nor throw him to the ground, nor could Ajax him, for the valiant might of Ulysses hindered him. But when at length they were wearying the well-grieved Greeks, then mighty Telamonian Ajax addressed him, O most noble son of Laertes, Ulysses of many wiles, either lift up me or I thee, and all these things will be a care to Jove. So saying, he lifted him up, but yet was not Ulysses mindful of a stratagem, Aiming at his ham, he struck him behind, and relaxed his limbs, and threw him on his back. But Ulysses fell upon his breast, then the people admiring gazed, and were stupefied. Next noble much-enduring Ulysses lifted him in turn, and moved him a little from the ground, nor did he lift him up completely. But he bent his knee, and both fell upon the ground near to each other, and were defiled with dust. And getting up, they had surely wrestled for the third time, had not Achilles himself stood up and restrained them. No longer contend, nor exhaust yourselves with evils, for there is victory to both. So depart, receiving equal rewards, in order that the other Greeks may also contend. Thus he spoke, but they indeed heard him willingly, and obeyed, and wiping off the dust, put on their tunics. But the son of Peleus immediately staked other rewards of swiftness, a wrought silver cup, which contained indeed six measures, but in beauty much excelled all upon the whole earth, for the ingenious Sidonians had wrought it cunningly, and Phoenician men had carried it over the shadowy sea, and exposed it for sale in the harbours, and presented it as a gift to Thoas. Aeoneus, son of Jason, however, had given it to the hero Patroclus as a ransom for Lycaon, son of Priam. This also Achilles offered as a new prize to be contended for in honour of his companion, whoever should be the nimblest on swift feet. For the second again he proposed an ox, large and luxuriant in fat, and for the last he staked half a talent of gold, but he stood upright and spoke amongst the Greeks. Arise, ye who will make trial of this contest also. Thus he spoke, and immediately swift Ajax, son of Oileus, arose, and much enduring Ulysses, and after them Antilochus, son of Nestor, for he indeed excelled all the youths in fleetness. But they stood in order, and Achilles pointed out the goal, and their course was stretched out from the goal. Then swiftly leaped forth the son of Oileus, but very close after him rushed noble Ulysses, as when a shuttle is at the breast of a well-girdled dame, which she throws very skilfully with her hands, drawing out the woof and inserting them into the warp, and holds it near her breast. So ran Ulysses near him, and with his feet trod on his footsteps behind, before the dust was shed over them. But noble Ulysses, constantly running swiftly, exhaled his breath upon his head, and all the Greeks shouted to him, eager for victory, and encouraged him, hastening rapidly. 
But when they were now completing their last course, Ulysses forthwith prayed in his mind to azure haired Minerva, Hear, O goddess, come a propitious assistant to my feet. Thus he spoke praying. But Pallas Minerva heard him, and she made his limbs nimble, his feet and his hands above. But when they were just about to fly in upon the prize, then Ajax slipped while running, for Minerva did the mischief, where the dung of the deep lowing slaughtered oxen was around, which swift-footed Achilles had slain in honour of Patroclus. Then much enduring noble Ulysses took up the goblet, as he came running the first, and illustrious Ajax received the ox. But he stood holding the horn of the rustic ox in his hand, and spitting out the dung, spoke amongst the Greeks. Alas! Surely a goddess injured my feet, whoever of old stands by Ulysses as a mother, and assists him. Thus he spoke, and they all then laughed heartily at him, but Antilochus next bore away the last prize, smiling, and spoke among the Greeks. I will tell you all, my friends, though now knowing it, that even still the immortals honour the aged, for Ajax indeed is a little older than I am, but he is of a former generation and former men, and they say that he is of crude old age, and it is difficult for the Greeks to contend in swiftness with him, except for Achilles. Thus he spoke, and praised the swift-footed son of Peleus, but Achilles answering addressed him with winged words. Thy praise, O Antilochus, shall not be spoken in vain, but for thee I will add half a talent of gold. So saying, he placed it in his hands, and he, rejoicing, received it. But the son of Peleus, bearing it into the circus, laid down a long spear, and a shield, and helmet, and arms of Sarpedon, which Patroclus had stripped him of, and stood upright, and spoke amongst the Greeks. We invite two warriors, whoever are bravest, having put on these arms, and seizing the flesh-rending brass, to make trial of each other before the host for these. Whoever shall be the first to wound the fair flesh, and touch the entrails through the armour and black blood, to him indeed will I give this silver-studded beautiful Thracian sword, which I formerly took from Asteropaeus. But let both bear away these arms in common, and before them I will place a splendid banquet in my tents. Thus he spoke, but then arose mighty Telamonian Ajax, and the son of Tydeus, valiant Diomede, rose up, but they, after they had armed apart on either side from the ground, both came together into the midst, eager to fight, looking dreadfully, and stupor possessed all the Greeks. But when approaching each other they were near, thrice indeed they rushed on, and thrice made the attack hand to hand. Then Ajax indeed pierced through his shield, equal on all sides, nor reached the flesh, for the corslet inside protected him. But next the son of Tydeus, with the point of his shining spear, endeavoured to reach the neck over his great shield, and then indeed the Greeks, fearing for Ajax, desired them, ceasing to take up equal rewards. The hero, however, gave the great sword to Diomede, bearing it both the sheath and the well-cut belt. Then the son of Peleus deposited a rudely molten mass of iron, which the great might of Aetion used formerly to hurl. But when swift-footed noble Achilles slew him, he brought this also with other possessions in his ships. Then he stood up and spoke amongst the Greeks. Arise, you who will make trial of this contest also. Even if his rich fields be of very far and wide extent, using this he will have it even for five revolving years. For indeed neither will his shepherd nor his ploughman go into the city wanting iron, but this will furnish it. Thus he spoke. Then up arose warlike Polypoetes, and the valiant might of godlike Leontius arose. Also Telamonian Ajax and noble Epeus arose. Then they stood in order. But noble Epeus seized the mass, and whirling it round, threw it, but all the Greeks laughed at him. Next Leontius, a branch of Mars, threw second, but third mighty Telamonian Ajax hurled with his strong hand, and cast beyond the marks of all. 
But when now warlike Polypoetes had seized the mast, as far as a cow herdsman throws his crook, which whirled around flies through the herds of oxen, so far through the whole stadium did he cast beyond. But they shouted aloud, and the companions of brave Polypoetes, rising up, bore away the prize of the king to the hollow ships. Next for the archers, next for the archers, he staked iron, fit for making arrows, and laid down ten battle-axes, and also ten demi-axes. He also set upright the mast of an azure-proud vessel, afar upon the sands. From this he fastened a timid dove by a slender cord, by the foot at which he ordered them to shoot. Whosoever indeed shall strike the timid dove, taking up all the battle-axes, may bear them to his tent. But whosoever shall hit the cord, missing the bird, for he is inferior, let him bear off the demi-axes. Thus he spoke. But then uprose the might of King Teucer, and uprose Meriones, the active attendant of Idomeneus, and taking the lots, they shook them in a brazen helmet. But Teucer was appointed first by lot, and straightway he shot an arrow strenuously, nor did he vow to sacrifice a celebrated hecatomb of firstling lambs to King Apollo. He missed the bird indeed, because Apollo envied him thus, but he hit the string with which the bird was fastened close to its foot, and the bitter arrow cut the cord quite through. Then indeed the bird ascended towards heaven, but the cord was sent down towards the earth. And the Greeks shouted applause, but Meriones, hastening, snatched the bow from his hand, and now held the arrow for a long time, as he had directed it, and immediately vowed to sacrifice to far-darting Apollo a noble hecatomb of firstling lambs. But he saw the timid dove on high beneath the clouds, which, as she was turning round, he hit in the middle under the wing, and the arrow pierced quite through, and it indeed again was fixed in the ground at the foot of Meriones. But the bird, alighting upon the mast of the azure-beaked galley, drooped its neck, and its close wings were at the same time expanded, and swift its soul flitted from its members, and it fell far from the mast. But the people wondering beheld, and were stupefied. Then Meriones took up all the ten battle-axes, and Teucer carried off the demi-axes to the hollow barks. Then the son of Peleus indeed, bearing it into the circus, staked a long spear, and also a cauldron, untouched by fire, worth an ox, adorned with flowers, and immediately the spearmen arose. The son of Atreus rose up, wide-ruling Agamemnon, and Meriones, the expert attendant of Idomeneus, whom also swift-footed noble Achilles addressed. O son of Atreus, for we know how much thou dost surpass all, as well as how much thou excellest in strength and in the javelin, wherefore thou indeed mayest repair to the hollow barks, possessing this reward. But let us give the spear to the hero Meriones, if truly thou dost thus wish it in thy mind, for I on my part advise it. Thus he spoke, nor did the king of men Agamemnon disobey, but he gave the brazen spear to Meriones, and the hero himself gave the very splendid prize to the herald Talthybius. End of Book the Twenty-Third, read by Stephen Carney. Section 24, Book the Twenty-Fourth of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 24. Book the twenty-fourth. Argument. Jove orders Thetis to go to Achilles, and demand the restoration of Hector's body. Mercury is also sent to Priam, whom he guides in safety through the Grecian camp, to the tent of Achilles. A pathetic interview follows, and Priam ransoms the body of his son, and obtains a twelve days' truce, during which he performs his funeral obsequies.
The assembly was dissolved, and the people were dispersed to go each to their hollow barks. They indeed took care to indulge in the banquet and sweet slumber. But Achilles wept, remembering his dear companion, nor did all subduing sleep possess him. But he was rolled here and there, longing for the vigor and valiant might of Patroclus, and whatever things he had accomplished with him, and hardships he had suffered, both encountering the battles of heroes and measuring the grievous waves, remembering these things, he shed the warm tear, lying at one time upon his sides, at others again on his back, and at other times on his face. But again starting up, he wandered about in sadness along the shore of the sea, nor did morn appearing over the sea and the shores escape his notice. But he, when he had harnessed his fleet steeds to his chariot, bound Hector to be dragged after his chariot, and having drawn him thrice around the tomb of the dead son of Menoetius, again rested in his tent, and left him there, having stretched him on his face in the dust. But Apollo kept off all pollution from his body, pitying the hero, although dead, and encircled him with the golden ages, lest that dragging he might lacerate him. Thus he indeed raging was insulting noble Hector, but the blessed gods, looking towards him, commiserated, and incited the watchful slayer of Argus to steal him away. Now to all the rest it was certainly pleasing, but by no means so to Juno, to Neptune, nor to the azure-eyed maid. But they were obstinate, for sacred Ilium was odious to them from the first, and Priam and his people on account of the infatuation of Paris, who had insulted the goddesses when they came to his cottage, and preferred her who gratified his destructive lust. But when the twelfth morning from that had arisen, then indeed Phoebus Apollo spoke amongst the immortals. Cruel ye are, O gods, and injurious! Has not Hector indeed formerly burned for you the thighs of bulls and chosen goats, whom now, although being dead, ye will not venture to take away for his wife and mother, his son, and his father Priam, and the people to behold, who would quickly burn him with fire and perform his funeral rites? But he wished to bestow favor, O gods, upon destructive Achilles, to whom there is neither just disposition nor flexible feelings in his breast, who is skilled in savage deeds, as a lion which, yielding to the impulse of his mighty strength and haughty soul, attacks the flocks of men, that he may take a repast. Thus has Achilles lost all compassion, nor in him is there sense of shame, which greatly hurts and profits men. For perhaps some one will lose another more dear, either a brother or a son. Yet does he cease weeping and lamenting, for the destinies have placed in men an enduring mind. But this man drags godlike Hector around the tomb of his dear companion, binding him to his chariot after he has taken away his dear life. Yet truly this is neither more honorable nor better for him. Let him beware lest we be indignant with him, brave as he is, because raging he insults even the senseless clay. But him, the white-armed Juno indignant addressed, this truly might be our language, O god of the silver bow, if now thou assignest equal honor to Achilles and to Hector. Hector indeed is a mortal, and sucked a woman's breast. But Achilles is the offspring of a goddess, whom I myself both nurtured and educated, and gave as a wife to the hero Peleus, who is dear to the immortals in their heart. And ye were all present at the nuptials, O gods, and thou didst feast amongst them, holding thy lyre, O companion of the evil ever faithless. But her cloud-compelling Jove answering addressed, O Juno, be not now completely enraged with the gods, for their honor shall not be at all equal. But Hector also was the dearest of mortals to the gods, of those who were in Ilium, for thus was he to me, for never did he amiss offering pleasing gifts, for never did my altar lack the fitting banquet or incense or odor, for this honor are we allotted. 
Yet let us forego to steal away bold Hector, nor is it at all practicable without the knowledge of Achilles, for he is ever by him both by night and day, like as a mother. But let some of the gods call Thetis near me, that to her I may tell prudent advice, in order that Achilles may receive gifts from Priam, and ransom Hector. Thus he spoke. But Iris, swift as the whirlwind, rose up, about to bear his message. Halfway between Samus and rugged Imbrus, she plunged into the dark sea, and the ocean groaned. She sank to the bottom like unto a leaden ball, which placed along the horn of a wild bull, entering, descends, bearing death to the raw-devouring fishes. But she found Thetis in her hollow cave, and the other sea-goddesses sat around her assembled together. She indeed in the midst lamented the fate of her own blameless son, who was about to perish in fertile Troy, far away from his native land. But her swift-footed Iris, standing near, addressed, Rise, O Thetis, Jove, skilled in imperishable counsel, calls thee. Her then the silver-footed goddess Thetis answered, Why does that mighty god call me? I am ashamed to mix with the immortals, for I have innumerable grieves in my soul. Yet must I go, for the word which he utters will not be in vain. Thus having spoken, the divine one of goddesses took her dark robe, than which no garment is blacker, and she set out to go, whilst wind-footed, fleet Iris led the way, and the water of the sea retired on each side of them. Next ascending the shore, they were impelled up to heaven. They found the far-sounding son of Saturn, and all the other blessed immortal gods sat assembled around him. But she then sat down beside Father Jove, and Minerva gave place to her, then juno placed a beautiful golden goblet in her hand and consoled her with words and thetis having drunk returned it but to them the father of men and gods began discourse thou hast come to olympus although sad o goddess thetis having in thy mind a grief not to be forgotten and i know it yet even thus will i speak and on this account have i called thee hither nine days has a contest already been excited amongst the immortals respecting the body of hector and achilles the destroyer of cities and they have urged the watchful slayer of argus to steal him but i bestowed this glory on achilles securing for the future thy respect and love descend very speedily to the camp and give orders to thy son tell him that the gods are offended and that i am angry above all the immortals because with infuriated mind he detains hector at the crooked barks nor has released him if perchance he will revere me and restore hector meanwhile i will dispatch iris to magnanimous priam that going to the ships of the greeks he may ransom his beloved son and carry offerings to achilles which may melt his soul thus he spoke nor did a silver-footed goddess thetis disobey but rushing impetuously she descended down from the tops of olympus then she came to the tent of her son and found him within moaning continually whilst around him his dear comrades were busily occupied and preparing a feast for a great thick fleeced sheep had been slaughtered by them in the tent but his venerable mother sat down very near him and caressed him with her hand and spoke and addressed him o my son how long grieving and bewailing wilt thou afflict thine heart being not at all mindful of either food or bed but it is good to be mingled in love with a woman for thou shalt not live long for me but death and stern fate already stand near thee but quickly attend to me for i am a messenger to thee from jove he says that the gods are angry with thee and that he himself above all the immortals is enraged because with furious mind thou detainest hector at the hollow ships nor dost release him but come release him and receive ransoms for the dead body but her swift-footed achilles answering addressed 
Let him approach hither, who may bear the ransoms, and bear away the body, if indeed the Olympian himself now commands it with a serious mind. Thus say indeed the mother and the son, amongst the assemblage of the ships, spoke many winged words to each other. But the son of Saturn impelled Iris towards sacred Ilium. Go quickly, fleet Iris, having left the seat of Olympus, order magnanimous Priam to ransom his dear son to Ilium, going to the ships of the Greeks, and to carry gifts to Achilles, which may appease his mind, alone, nor let another man of the Trojans go with him. Let some aged herald accompany him, who may guide his mules and well-wheeled chariot, and may bear back to the city the dead body which noble Achilles has slain. Nor let death at all be a cause of anxiety to his mind, nor at all a terror. Such a conductor, the slayer of Argus, will we give to him, who shall lead him until, directing, he shall place him beside Achilles. But when he shall have conducted him into the tent of Achilles, he will not kill him himself, and he will ward off all others. For he is neither imprudent, nor rash, nor profane, but will very humanely spare a suppliant man. Thus he spoke, but wind-footed Iris rushed on about to carry her message. She came to the palace of Priam, and found wailing and lamentation. His sons, sitting around their father within the hall, were drenching their robes with tears, whilst the old man sat in the midst covered entirely with a cloak. But much filth was around upon the head and neck of the aged man, which, while rolling on the ground, he had abundantly collected with his own hands. But his daughters and daughters-in-law throughout the dwelling lamented, remembering those who many and brave lay, having lost their lives by the hands of the Greeks, then the ambassadress of Jove stood beside Priam, and addressed him in an undertone, and tremor seized him as to his limbs. Take courage, O Dardanian Priam, in thy mind nor fear at all, for indeed I come not hither bonding evil to thee, but meditating good, for I am an ambassadress from Jove to thee, who, though being far off, greatly cares for and pities thee. The Olympian bids thee ransom noble Hector, and bear presents to Achilles, which may melt his soul. Thee alone, nor let another man of the Trojans go with thee. But let some aged herald accompany thee, who may guide thy mules and well-wheeled chariot, and bring back to the city the dead which noble Achilles has slain. Nor let death be a cause of anxiety to thy mind, nor fear at all such a conductor. The slayer of Argus shall attend thee, who shall lead thee, until, guiding, he shall bring thee near Achilles. But when he shall have led thee into the tent of Achilles, he will not slay thee himself, and he will ward off all others, for he is neither imprudent, nor rash, nor profane, but will very humanely spare a suppliant man. Thus having spoken, swift-footed Iris departed, but he ordered his sons to prepare his well-wheeled mule-drawn chariot, and to tie a chest upon it. But he descended into an odiferous chamber of cedar, lofty-roofed, which contained many rarities, and called in his wife Hecuba, and said, Unhappy one, an Olympian messenger has come to me from Jove, that I should ransom my dear son, going to the ships of the Greeks, and should bear gifts to Achilles, which may melt his soul. But come, tell this to me, what does it appear to thee in thy mind? For my strength and courage vehemently urge me myself to go thither to the ships, into the wide army of the Greeks. Thus he spoke, but his spouse wept, and answered him in words, O oh me, where now is thy prudence gone, for which thou wast formerly distinguished among foreigners, and among those whom thou dost govern? Why dost thou wish to go alone to the ships of the Greeks before the eyes of the man who slew thy many and brave sons? Certainly an iron heart is thine, for if this cruel and perfidious man shall take and behold thee with his eyes, he will not pity thee, nor will he at all respect thee. 
but let us now lament him apart sitting in the hall but let it be as formerly to him at his birth violent fate spun his thread when i brought him forth that he should satiate the swift-footed dogs at a distance from his own parents with that fierce man the very middle of whose liver i wished that i had hold of that clinging to it i might devour it then would the deeds done against my son be repaid for he did not slay him behaving as a coward but standing forth in defence of the Trojan men and deep-bosomed Trojan dames, neither mindful of flight nor of receding. But her again, the aged godlike Priam addressed, Do not detain me desirous to go, nor be thou thyself an evil omen bird in my palaces, nor shalt thou persuade me, for if indeed any other of earthly beings had ordered me, whether they be prophets, soothsayers, or priests, we might have pronounced it a falsehood, and been the more averse. But now, since I myself have heard it from a deity, and have beheld her face to face, I will go, nor shall this word be vain, and if it be my fate to die at the ships of the brazen-mailed Greeks, I am willing." for Achilles will forthwith slay me, embracing my son in my arms, after I have taken away the desire of weeping. He spoke, and opened the beautiful lids of the chests, and took out thence twelve beautiful mantles, twelve single cloaks, as many tapestried rugs, and in addition to these, as many tunics. And having weighed it, he took out ten whole talents of gold. He took out beside two glittering tripods and four goblets, and a very beautiful cup, which the Thracian men had given him when going on an embassy, a mighty possession. Nor now did the old man spare even this in his palaces, for he greatly wished in his mind to ransom his dear son, and he drove away all the Trojans from his porch, chiding them with reproachful words. Depart, wretched, reproachful creatures! Is there not indeed grief to you at home, that ye should come fretting me? Or do ye esteem it of little consequence that Jove, the son of Saturn, has sent sorrows upon me, that I should have lost my bravest son? But ye too shall receive it, for ye will be much more easy for the Greeks to destroy now, he being dead. But I will descend even to the abodes of Hades, before I behold with mine eyes the city sacked and plundered. He spoke, and chased away the men with his staff, but they went out, the old man driving them. He indeed rebuked his own sons, reviling Hellenus, Paris, and godlike Agathon, Pamon, Antiphonus, and Polites, brave in the din of battle, Thephobus, Hippothus, and renowned Deus. To these nine the old man reproaching gave orders. Haste for me, O slothful children, disgraceful! Would that you had all been slain at the swift ships instead of Hector! Ah, me, the most unhappy of all, since I have begotten the bravest sons in wide Troy, but none of whom I think is left, godlike Mester and Troulus, who fought from his chariot, and Hector, who was a god among men, for he did not appear to be the son of a mortal man, but of a god. These indeed has Mars destroyed to me. But all these disgraces remain, liars, dancers, most skilled in the choirs, and public robbers of lambs and kids. Will ye not with all haste get ready my chariot, and place all these things upon it, that we may perform our journey? Thus he spoke, but they, dreading the reproach of their father, lifted out the well-wheeled mule-drawn chariot, beautiful, newly built, and tied the chest upon it. Then they took down the yoke for the mules from the pin, made of boxwood, and embossed, well fitted with rings. And then they brought out the yoke-band, nine cubits in length, along with the yoke. 
and this indeed they adjusted carefully to the pole at its extremity and threw the ring over the bolt thrice they lapped it on either side to the boss and when they had fastened they turned it evenly under the bend then bearing the inestimable ransoms of hector's head from the chamber they piled them upon the well-polished car then they yoked the strong-hooved mules patient in labor which the mycenaeans formerly gave to priam splendid gifts they also led under the yoke for priam the horses which the old man himself had fed at the well-polished manger these indeed the herald and priam yoked in the lofty palace having prudent counsels in their mind but near them came hecuba with sad mind bearing sweet wine in her right hand in a golden goblet in order that having made libations they might depart but she stood before the steeds and spoke and addressed them take offer a libation to father jove and pray that thou mayest return home again from the hostile men since indeed thy mind urges thee to the ships i at least not being willing but do thou pray now to the dark cloud compelling idaean son of saturn who looks down upon all troy but seek the fleet bird his messenger which to him is the most pleasing of birds and whose strength is very great and on thy right hand so that marking him thyself with thine eyes thou mayest go relying on him to the ships of the fleet-horsed greeks but if wide-viewing jove will not give thee his own messenger i would not at all then urging advise thee to go to the ships of the greeks though very eager but her godlike priam answering addressed o spouse certainly i will not disobey thee advising this for it is good to raise one's hands to jove if perchance he may compassionate me the old man spoke and bade the attending servant pour pure water upon his hands for a handmaid stood by holding in her hands a basin and also a ewer and having washed himself he took the goblet from his wife then he prayed standing in the midst of the enclosure and poured out a libation of wine looking towards heaven and raising his voice spoke o father jove ruling from ida most glorious most great grant me to come acceptable and pity to the tent of achilles and send the swift bird thy messenger which is the most agreeable of birds to thee and whose strength is very great on my right hand that i myself perceiving him with my eyes may go relying on him to the ships of the fleet horsed greeks thus he spoke praying but to him provident jove hearkened and immediately sent an eagle the black hunter the most certain augury of birds which they also called perkinos as large as a well-bolted closely fitted door of the lofty roofed chamber of a wealthy man so great were its wings on each side and it appeared to them rushing on the right hand over the city but they having seen it rejoiced and the soul was overjoyed in their bosoms then the old man hastening mounted his polished car and drove out of the vestibule and much echoing porch before indeed the mules drew the four-wheeled car which prudent idaeus drove but after came the horses which the old man cheered on driving briskly through the city with his lash but all his friends accompanied greatly weeping for him as of going to death but when they had descended from the city and reached the plain his sons and sons-in-law then returned to ilium nor did these two advancing on the plain escape the notice of far-seeing jove but seeing the old man he pitied him and straightway addressed his beloved son o mercury for to thee it is peculiarly grateful to associate with man and thou hearest whomsoever thou art willing go now and so convey priam to the hollow ships of the greeks that neither any one may see him nor indeed any of the other greeks perceive him until he reach the son of peleus thus he spoke nor did the messenger the son of argus disobey 
Immediately then he fastened under his feet his beautiful sandals, ambrosial, golden, which carry him as well over the city as over the boundless earth with the blasts of the wind. He also took his rod, with which he soothes the eyes of those men whom he wishes, and again excites others who are asleep, holding this in his hands, the powerful slayer of Argus flew along. But he immediately reached the Troad and the Hellespont, and hastened to go, like unto a princely youth, first springing into youth, whose youth is very graceful. And they, when they had driven by the great tomb of Ilus, stopped their mules and horses, that they might drink in the river, for even now twilight had come over the earth, but the herald spying observed Mercury near, and addressed Priam, and said, Beware, O descendant of Dardanus, this is matter for prudent thought. I perceive a warrior, and I think that he will soon destroy us. But come, let us fly upon our steeds, or let us now, grasping his knees, entreat him, if he would pity us. Thus he spoke, but the mind of the old man was confounded, and he greatly feared, but the hair stood upright on his bending limbs. And he stood stupefied, but Mercury himself coming near, taking the old man's hand, interrogated, and addressed him. Whither, O father, dost thou this way direct thy horses and mules during the ambrosial night, when other mortals are asleep? Dost thou not fear the valor-breathing Greeks, who enemies and hostile to thee are at hand? If any one of these should see thee in the dark and dangerous night, bearing off so many valuables, what intention would then be towards thee? Neither art thou young thyself, and this is an old man who accompanies thee, to repel a warrior when first any may molest thee. But I will not do thee injury, but will avert another from thee, for I think thee like my dear father. But him Priam, the godlike old man, then answered, Surely these things are as thou sayest, my dear son, but hitherto some one of the gods has protected me with his hand, who has sent such a favorable conductor to meet me, so beautiful art thou in form and appearance, and thou art also prudent in mind, and of blessed parents. But him again the messenger, the slayer of Argus, addressed, Old man, thou hast certainly spoken all these things with propriety, but come, tell me this, and relate it truly. Whither now dost thou send so many and such valuable treasures amongst foreigners? Whether that these at least may remain safe to thee? Or do ye all, now fearing, desert sacred Ilium? For so brave a hero was he who died thy son. He was not in aught inferior to the Greeks in battle. But him Priam, the godlike old man, then addressed, But who art thou, O best one, and of what parents art thou, who speakest so honorably to me of the death of my luckless son? But him again the messenger, the slayer of Argus, addressed, Thou triest me, old man, and inquirest concerning noble Hector, whom I indeed have very often beheld with mine eyes in the glorious fight, when routing the Greeks he slew them at their ships, destroying them with his sharp spear. But we, standing, marvelled, for Achilles, enraged with the son of Atreus, did not permit us to fight. But I am his attendant, and the same well-made vessel brought us. I am one of the Myrmidons. Polyater is my father, who indeed is rich, but now old as thou. To him there are six sons, but I am his seventh, with whom casting lots the lot occurred to me to follow Achilles hither, and I came to the plain from the ships, for at dawn the rolling-eyed Greeks will raise a fight around the city, for they are indignant sitting quiet, nor can the chiefs of the Greeks restrain them, longing for war. But him then, Priam, the godlike old man, answered, If indeed thou art one of the servants of Achilles, the son of Peleus, come now, Tell all the truth to me, whether is my son still at the ships, or has Achilles, tearing him limb from limb, cast him to the dogs? But him the messenger, the slayer of Argus, again addressed. 
O old man, neither have the dogs yet devoured him, nor the birds, but he still lies at the ship of Achilles, in the same plight as before, at his tents. And it is now the twelfth morning him lying. Yet his body is not at all putrid, nor do the worms devour him, which consume men slain in battle. Doubtless he will drag him cruelly around the tomb of his dear companion when divine morn appears, but he does not defile him. Approaching thou indeed thyself wouldst wonder how fresh he lies, while the blood is washed away from around, nor is he polluted in any part. But all his wounds are closed, whatever were inflicted, for many thrust a spear into him. Thus do the happy gods regard thy son, though dead, for he was dear to them in their heart. Thus he spoke, but the old man rejoiced, and answered in words, O son, surely it is good to give due gifts to the immortals, for my son, while he was yet in being, never neglected the gods who possessed Olympus in his palace. Therefore are they mindful of him, although in the fate of death. But come now, accept from me this beautiful goblet, protect thyself, and with the favour of the gods conduct me until I come into the tent of the son of Peleus. But him, the slayer of Argus, again addressed, Old man, thou triest me, being younger, nor wilt thou now persuade me, thou who orderest me to accept thy gifts unknown to Achilles, whom indeed I dread, and scruple in my heart to plunder, lest some evil should afterwards come upon me. Yet would I go as a conductor to thee even to renowned Argus, sedulously in a swift ship, or accompanying thee on foot, nor indeed would any one contend with thee, despising thy guide. Mercury spoke, and, leaping upon the chariot and horses, quickly took the scourge and the reins in his hands, and breathed bold vigour into the horses and mules. But when they had now reached the rampart and trench of the ships, then the guards were just employed about their feast. And the messenger, the slayer of Argus, poured sleep upon them all, and immediately he opened the gates and pushed back the bars, and led in Priam, and the splendid gifts upon the car. But when they reached the lofty tent of Achilles, which the Myrmidons had reared for their king, lopping fir timbers, and they roofed it over with a thatched roof, mowing it from the mead, and made a great fence around it with thick-set stakes for their king. One bar only of fir held the door, which indeed three Greeks used to fasten, and three used to open the great fastening of the gates, but Achilles even alone used to shoot it. Then indeed profitable Mercury opened it for the old man, and led in the splendid presence to swift-footed Achilles. Then he descended to the ground from the chariot, and said, O old man, I indeed come, an immortal god Mercury to thee, for to thee my father sent me as companion, yet shall I return indeed, nor be present before the eyes of Achilles, for it would indeed be invidious for an immortal god so openly to aid mortals. But do thou entering, clasp the knees of the son of Peleus, and supplicate him by his father, and fair-haired mother, and his son, that thou mayest affect his mind. Thus indeed, having spoken, Mercury went to lofty Olympus, and Priam leaped from his chariot to the ground, and left Idaeus there. But he remained, guarding the steeds and mules, while the old man went straight into the tent, where Achilles, dear to Jove, was sitting. Himself he found within, but his companion sat apart. But two alone, the hero Automedon and Alcimus, a branch of Mars, standing near, were ministering to him, for eating and drinking he had just ceased from food, and the table still remained. But great Priam entering, escaped his notice, and standing near, he clasped the knees of Achilles with his hands, and kissed his dreadful manslaughtering hands, which had slain many sons to him. And as when a dread sense of guilt has seized a man, who, having killed a man in his own country, comes to another people, to the abode of some wealthy man, and stupor possesses the spectators, so Achilles wondered, seeing godlike Priam, and the others also wondered, and looked at one another. 
and priam supplicating spoke this speech remember thy own father o achilles like unto the gods of equal age with me upon the sad threshold of old age and perhaps indeed his neighbours around are perplexing him nor is there any one to ward off war and destruction yet he indeed hearing of thee being alive both rejoices in his mind and every day expects to see his dear son returned from troy but i am every way unhappy for i begat the bravest sons in wide troy of whom i say that none are left fifty there were to me when the sons of the greeks arrived nineteen indeed from one womb but the others women bore to me in my palaces and of the greater number fierce mars indeed has relaxed the knees under them but hector who was my favourite and defended the city and ourselves thou hast lately slain fighting for his country on account of whom i now come to the ships of the greeks and bring countless ransoms in order to redeem him from thee but revere the gods o achilles and have pity on myself remembering thy father for i am even more miserable for i have endured what no other earthly mortal has to put to my mouth the hand of a man the slayer of my son thus he spoke but in him he excited the desire of mourning for his father and taking him by the hand he gently pushed the old man from him but they indeed calling to mind the one wept copiously for manslaughtering hector rolling on the ground before the feet of achilles but achilles bewailed his father and again in turn patroclus and their lamentation was aroused throughout the house but when noble achilles had satiated himself with grief and the desire for weeping had departed from his heart and limbs immediately rising from his seat he lifted up the old man with his hand compassionating both his hoary head and hoary chin and addressing him spoke winged words alas wretched one thou hast certainly suffered many evils in thy mind how hast thou dared to come alone to the ships of the greeks into the sight of the man who slew thy many and brave sons assuredly thy heart is iron but come now sit upon a seat and let us permit sorrows to sink to rest within thy mind although grieved for there is not any use in chill grief for so have the gods destined to unhappy mortals that they should live wretched but they themselves are free from care take two casks of gifts which he bestows lie at the threshold of jupiter the one of evils and the other of good to whom thunder rejoicing jove mingling may give them sometimes he falls into evil but sometimes into good but to whomsoever he gives of the evil he makes him exposed to injury and hungry calamity pursues him over the bounteous earth and he wanders about honoured neither by gods nor men so indeed have the gods given illustrious gifts to peleus from his birth for he was conspicuous among men both for riches and wealth he ruled over the myrmidons and to him being a mortal they gave a goddess for a wife but upon him also has a deity inflicted evil for there was not to him in his palaces an offspring of kingly sons but he begat one short-lived son nor indeed do i cherish him being old for i remain in troy far away from my country causing sorrow to thee and to thy sons thee too old man we learn to have been formerly wealthy as much as lesbos above the seat of Macar, cuts off on the north and phrygia beneath and the boundless hellespont among these o old man they say that thou wast conspicuous for thy wealth and thy sons but since the heavenly inhabitants have brought this bane upon thee wars and the slaying of men are constantly around thy city 
Arise, nor grieve incessantly in thy mind, for thou wilt not profit aught, afflicting thyself for thy son, nor wilt thou resuscitate him, before thou hast suffered another misfortune. But him, Priam, the godlike old man, then answered, Do not at all place me on a seat, O Jove nurtured, whilst Hector lies unburied in thy tents, but redeem him as soon as possible, that I may behold him with mine eyes, and do thou receive the many ransoms which we bring thee, and mayest thou enjoy them, and reach thy fatherland, since thou hast suffered me in the first place to live, and to behold the light of the sun. But him, swift-footed Achilles, sternly regarding, then addressed, do not irritate me further, old man, for I also myself meditate ransoming Hector to thee. For the mother who bore me, the daughter of the marine old man, came as a messenger from Jove to me, and I perceive thee also, O Priam, in my mind. Nor do thou deceive me that some one of the gods has led thee to the swift ships of the Greeks, for a mortal would not have dared to come into the camp, not even in very blooming youth, for he could not have escaped the guards, nor indeed pushed back the bars of our gates. Wherefore do not move my mind more to sorrows, lest I leave thee not unharmed, old man, in my tent, though being a suppliant, and violate the commands of Jove. Thus he spoke, but the old man feared and obeyed. But the son of Peleus leaped forth like a lion from the door of the house, not alone, for two attendants accompanied him, the hero Automedon and Alchemus, whom Achilles honoured most of his companions next after the deceased Patroclus. These then unharnessed the horses and mules from the yoke, and led in the clear-voiced herald of the old man, and placed him upon a seat. They also took down from the well-polished car the countless ransoms of Hector's head. But they left two cloaks and a well-woven tunic, in order that, having covered the body, he might give it to be borne home. But having called his female attendant, he ordered them to wash and anoint all round, taking it apart, that Priam might not see his son, lest seeing his son, he might not restrain the wrath in his grieving heart, and might arouse the soul of Achilles, and he might slay him, and violate the commands of Jove. But when the servants had washed, and anointed it with oil, they then threw over him a beautiful cloak, and a tunic, then Achilles himself, having raised him up, placed him upon a litter, and his companions together with him lifted him upon the well-polished chariot. But he moaned, and called upon his dear companion by name. O Patroclus, be not wrathful with me, if thou shouldst hear, although being in Hades, that I have ransomed noble Hector to his beloved father, since he has not given me unworthy ransoms. Besides, even of these will I give thee a share, whatever is just." Noble Achilles spoke, and returned into the tent, and sat down upon a well-made couch, whence he had risen at the opposite wall, and addressed Priam. Thy son is indeed redeemed to thee, as thou didst desire, and lies upon a bier, and with the early dawn thou shalt behold him conveying him away. But now let us be mindful of the feast, for even fair-haired Niobe was mindful of food, although twelve children perished in her palaces, six daughters and six youthful sons, these indeed Apollo slew with his silver bow, enraged with Niobe. But those, arrow-rejoicing Diana, because, forsooth, she had compared herself with fair-cheeked Latona. She said that Latona had borne only two, or as she had borne many. Yet those, though being only two, destroyed all her own. Nine days indeed they lay in blood, nor was there any one to bury them, for the son of Saturn had made the people stones. But upon the tenth day the heavenly gods interred them. Still was she mindful of the food, when she was fatigued with weeping. Now, indeed, ever amidst the rocks, in the desert mountains, in Sipolis, where they say the beds of the goddess nymphs are, who lead the dance around Achilles, 
There, although being a stone, she broods over the sorrows sent from the gods. But come now, O noble old man, let us likewise attend to food, but afterwards thou mayest lament thy beloved son, conveying him into Troy, and he will be bewailed by thee with many tears. Swift Achilles spoke, and leaping up, slew a white sheep, and his companions flayed it well, and fitly dressed it. Then they skilfully cut it in pieces, pierced them with spits, roasted them diligently, and drew them all off. Then Automedon, taking bread, distributed it over the table in beautiful baskets, whilst Achilles helped the meat, and they stretched out their hands to the prepared victuals lying before them. But when they had dismissed the desire of food and drink, Dardanian Priam indeed marvelled at Achilles, such and so great, for he was like unto the gods. But Achilles marvelled at Dardanian Priam, seeing his amiable countenance, and hearing his conversation. When, however, they were satisfied with gazing at each other, him Priam, the godlike old man, first addressed. Send me now to rest as soon as possible, O Jove nurtured, that we, reclining, may take our fill of sweet sleep, for never have these eyes been closed beneath my eyelids from the time when my son lost his life by thy hands. But I ever lament and cherish many woes, rolling in the dust within the enclosures of my palaces. But now I have tasted food and poured sweet wine down my throat, for before indeed I had not tasted it. He spoke, but Achilles ordered his companions, servants, and maids to place couches beneath the porch, and to spread beautiful purple mats on them, and to strew embroidered carpets over them, and to lay on them well-napped cloaks to be drawn over all. But they went out of the hall, having a torch in their hands, and hastening they quickly spread two couches. But the swift-footed Achilles, jocularly addressing him, said, do you lie without, O revered old man, lest some counsellor of the Greeks come hither, who, sitting with me, constantly meditate plans as is just? If any of these should see thee in the dark and dangerous night, he would forthwith tell Agamemnon, the shepherd of the people, and perchance there would be a delay of the redemption of the body. But come, tell me this, and tell it accurately. How many days dost thou desire to perform the funeral rites of noble Hector, that I may myself remain quiet so long, and restrain the people? But him Priam, the godlike old man, then answered, If indeed thou desirest me to celebrate the funeral of noble Hector, thus doing, O Achilles, thou dost surely gratify me, for thou knowest how we are hemmed in within the city, and it is far to carry wood from the mountain, and the Trojans greatly dread to do so. Nine days indeed we would lament him in our halls, but on the tenth would bury him, and the people should feast but upon the eleventh we would make a tomb to him, and on the twelfth we will fight, if necessary. But him swift-footed Achilles again addressed, These things shall be to thee, O aged Priam, as thou desirest, for I will prevent the fight as long a time as thou desirest. Thus having spoken, he grasped the right hand of the old man near the wrist, lest he should fear in his mind. They indeed, the herald and Priam, slept there in the porch of the house, having prudent counsels in their mind, while Achilles slept in the interior of the well-built tent, and beside him lay fair-cheeked Perseus. The other gods indeed and chariot-fighting men slept all night, subdued by gentle slumber, but sleep seized not Mercury, the author of good, revolving in his mind how he should convey away King Priam from the ships, having escaped the notice of the sacred gatekeeper. Accordingly he stood over his head, and addressed him, O aged man, certainly evil is not at all a care to thee, that thou sleepest thus amongst hostile men, after Achilles has suffered thee. Now indeed thou hast ransomed thy beloved son, and hast given much, 
but the sons left behind by thee would give three times as many ransoms for thee alive, if Agamemnon the son of Atreus should know of thy being here, and all the Greeks should know of it. Thus he spoke, but the old man feared and awoke the herald. Then for them Mercury yoked the horses and mules, and quickly drove them himself through the camp, nor did any one perceive. But when they reached the course of the fair-flowing river, eddying Xanthus, which immortal Jove begat, then indeed Mercury went away to lofty Olympus, and saffron-robed morn was diffused over the whole earth. They indeed drove the horses towards the city with wailing and lamentation, and the mules bore the body, nor did any other of the men and well-girdled women previously perceive it. But Cassandra, like unto golden Venus ascending Pergamus, discovered her dear father standing in the driving seat and the city summoning herald. She beheld him also upon the mules, lying on the litter. Then indeed she shrieked, and cried aloud throughout the whole city, O Trojans and Trojan women, going forth, behold Hector, if ever ye rejoiced at his returning alive from battle, for he was a great joy to the city, and to the whole people. Thus she spoke, nor was there any man left in the city, nor woman, for insupportable grief came upon them all, and they met him near the gates, bringing in the body, but his wife and venerable mother, first rushing to the well-wheeled chariot, plucked out their hair, touching his head. And the crowd stood around, weeping, and they indeed would have wept the whole day till sunset before the gates, lamenting Hector, had not the old man addressed the people from his chariot. Give way to me, to pass through with the mules, but afterwards shall ye be satiated with weeping, after I shall carry him home. Thus he spoke, but they stood off, and made way for the chariot. But when they had brought him into the illustrious palace, they laid him upon perforated beds, and placed singers beside him, leaders of the dirges, who indeed sang a mournful ditty, while the women also uttered responsive groans. And amongst them white-armed Adromache began the lamentation, holding the head of manslaughtering Hector between her hands. O husband, young in years hast thou died, and hast left me a widow in the palace and besides thy son is thus an infant to whom thou and i ill-fated gave birth nor do i think he will attain to puberty for before that this city will be overthrown from its summit certainly thou the protector art dead who didst defend its very self and didst protect its venerable wives and infant children who will soon be carried away into the hollow ships and i indeed amongst them but thou o my son wilt either accompany me or thou shalt labour unworthy tasks pulling for a merciless lord or some one of the greeks enraged seizing thee by the hand will hurl thee from a tower to sad destruction to whom doubtless hector has slain a brother or a father or even a son for by the hands of hector very many greeks have grasped the immense earth with their teeth for thy father was not gentle in the sad conflict wherefore indeed the people lament him throughout the city but thou hast caused unutterable grief and sorrow to thy parents o hector but chiefly to me are bitter sorrows left for thou didst not stretch out thy hands to me from the couch when dying nor speak any prudent word of solace which i might for ever remember shedding tears night and day thus she spoke bewailing but the women also lamented and to them in turn hecuba began her vehement lamentation o hector far of all my sons dearest to my soul certainly being alive to me thou wert beloved by the gods who truly have had a care of thee even in the destiny of death for swift-footed achilles sold all my other sons whomsoever he seized beyond the unfruitful sea at samus imbrus and lemnus without a harbour but when he had taken away thy life with his long-bladed spear he often dragged thee round the tomb of his comrade patroclus whom thou slewest but he did not thus raise him up 
but now thou liest to my sorrow in the palaces fresh and lately slain like him whom silver-bowed apollo attacking has slain with his mild weapons thus she spake weeping and aroused a vehement lamentation but to them helen then the third began her lamentation o hector far dearest to my soul of all my brothers-in-law for godlike alexander is my husband he who brought me to troy would that i had perished first but now already this is a twentieth year to me from the time when i came from thence and quitted my native land yet have i never heard from thee a harsh or reproachful word but if any other of my brothers-in-law or sisters-in-law or well-attired husbands brothers as wives reproached me in the palaces or my mother-in-law for my father-in-law was ever gentle as a father then thou admonishing him with words didst restrain him both by thy gentleness and thy gentle words so that grieved at heart i bewail at the same time thee and myself unhappy for there is not any other in wide troy kind and friendly to me but all abhor me thus she spoke weeping and again the countless throng groaned and aged priam spoke this speech amongst the people o trojans now bring wood to the city nor at all fear in your mind a close ambuscade of the greeks for achilles dismissing me from the dark ships thus promised me that he would not commence hostilities before the twelfth morning should arrive thus he spoke and they yoked both oxen and mules beneath the wagons and then assembled before the city for nine days indeed they brought together an immense quantity of wood but when now the tenth morn bearing light to immortals had appeared then indeed weeping they carried out noble hector and placed a body on the lofty pile and cast in the fire but when the mother of dawn rosy-fingered morn appeared then were the people assembled round the pile of illustrious hector but after they were assembled and collected together first indeed they extinguished all the pyre with dark wine as much as the force of the fire had possessed but then his brothers and companions collected his white bones weeping and the abundant tear streamed down their cheeks and taking them they placed them in a golden urn covering them with soft purple robes and forthwith deposited it in a hollow grave and then strewed it above with numerous great stones but they built up the tomb in haste and the watches sat around on every side lest the well-grieved greeks should make an attack too soon and having heaped up the tomb they returned and then being assembled together in order they feasted on a splendid banquet in the palaces of priam the jove nurtured king thus indeed they performed the funeral of steed-breaking hector End of Book the Twenty-Fourth End of the Iliad Read by Stephen Carney, Menasha, Wisconsin